Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up everybody out there on the interwebs? We're back at Jake's Food and Spirits recording the podcast. Ross Hipster's Glasses Martin is out on assignment covering a golf tournament in Georgia. The Georgia overseas, but with me as always, the king of Thornton himself, make his way all the way down here, Jeff Morton. Man, I said, hold on, make his way all the way down here from Thornton. It's the king himself, Jeff Morton. Literally, it's only been one week. It's been way too long. (laughs) (laughs) Screwed the whole intro up. Lord, I was going to like compliment you for coming back intact from uh, Vegas, but uh, clearly it's taken its toll on you. It's taken its toll. (laughs) It really has. It really has. And a special guest tonight joining us from the Colorado Springs Gazette, Paul Klee, the phenomenal, gosh, you're like the Mr. Multitasker. You're like the utility infielder for the Gazette. You write about everything. Man, that makes me sound good. Everything Denver, I guess. They let me live up here in the finest city in America, which is the best part of the gig. Omar Quintanilla of... uh, of, uh, of writers at uh, the Gazette. The Freddy Benavides. Ben- Benavides. Freddy Benavides, yes. The Vinny Castilla. <laughs> he wasn't utility, though. He was before he got the job. Full time. <laughs> was he? I think he was the backup to Benavides and whoever else was in the infield. Oh, interesting. I'm completely convinced at this point that the best part of the podcast are the <laughs> off-air 30 minutes that precedes actually being on-air. And I think if that were recorded... This uh, might break Nielsen ratings or however they rate It, it would be amazing, but we would never get a job in this town again. <laughs> or have friends. Or have friends, yes. Or have friends. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to describe, Paul, I forgot the other part of the introduction for you. One of Denver's most eligible bachelors, soon to be off the market, Paul Klee, getting married. That's right, man. September 5th. Uh, I'm pretty stoked know, about it. I had a bachelor party this weekend. One of many, I hear. The, You're first, having, uh, the first of a couple. Which, uh, considering the last 20 years, feel like a bachelor party. That's probably uh, one too many. But uh, I'm totally stoked. And she's a Jayhawk. And I outkicked my coverage on this one. I was Jason Elam on this one. You were. Wow. Well, that's good. Congratulations on the pending nuptials. I'm pretty stoked. Um, And uh, Paul wrote a great column today um, about the Denver Nuggets. And uh, he, of course, writes for the Colorado Springs Gazette. Uh, Paul, how often do you get down to Colorado Springs? Well, um, I would say I get down there a couple times a year, yeah. um, probably three or four times. I probably should get down there more often, <laughs> but I justify that. And, you know, I like the Springs. I think it's a beautiful place. Um, my roots are here in Denver. You yeah. know, I grew up here, went to high school here, and um, this is kind of my beat coverage, mm-hmm. Denver with the Broncos and Nuggets and the Rockies and the Avs. And so I, I justify it by saying, well, my work's here, so I'm going to... I'm going to stay up in Denver. Uh, where was your? Uh, where'd you go to high school? I went to Denver Christian High School over Denver on Christian. Evans and Pearl. Uh, good old Dick Cotty Gymnasium, the winningest high school basketball coach in 
Colorado history. Good man, know. lives on Clayton still, same home. I remember we played, a, I think, a freshman game against Denver Christian, <laughs> and the, one of the end zones went uphill. Was there so a little like, white point guard that really was annoying to you at all? This was football. Oh, okay. I did not play football. This was football. Well, that's my, my oh, that's right. You were a you were a lineman, weren't you? I was. I was a left tackle. Yeah. I like to say that I was the worst backup left tackle in Colorado <laughs> high school football history. <laughs> I was awful. I didn't study the playbook. I hated lifting weights. There was a lot of problems. For I had. Ponderosa High School in uh, yeah. Parker. Yes. So if anybody ever got injured. We were in trouble. <laughs> well, it's amazing, <laughs> too, because you've, you've got a model's physique these days, so yeah, you gotten, must be working out. more into it, but you I, must I don't work know about out. that. I don't know about all I, that. Yeah, it's, it's one of the I, – I, I never participated in any sport, <laughs> and I know that's surprising to most people who've seen me. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, no, that's not true. I was the point guard of my junior high school, Oberon Junior High School in Arvada, that was of our basketball team, and I once scored 45 points. In a game. This has gone all varsity blues on our list. I know it has, and right? I hope they stick around. That's right. <laughs> 45 points is good. I think my career, I was like 12 in organized basketball. Maybe. Yeah. Might have been eight. I was, I, was, I was deceptively quick. So you were a point guard. Clee, you were a point guard as well. I was, and I've offered up my VHS highlight tapes to our friend, our mutual friend Vic Lombardi to run on his Channel 4 newscast, but he hasn't taken me up on that yet, uh-huh. even though we did lose to Holy Family in the state championship game that's, in 1998. That's, that's, uh, that's disappointing. I, I would like to see these highlights. I could bring them out. I think we should have them shipped over to Pepsi Center, and maybe that's the third point guard that they're looking for. Ten-day contract. I th- yeah. You could be, could be like, uh, the, who, who was it, the Nuggets signed uh, to several ten-day contracts? It was um, Avery Johnson. You could hey, be the Avery Johnson. Yeah, hey, you remember Chris Herron, I'm sure. Chris Herron, yes. One of my favorite players. Yeah. That's who I probably modeled my game after, Chris Herron. Really? So yeah. you're going to be playing the Lakers and lose a shoe and drain <laughs> a three-pointer. Yeah. And if it feels like leather, it's going up, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's my approach. I like it. Chris Herron, man. I like it. Well, we've, we've kind of turned into a Nuggets Central podcast since Ross hasn't been around, which is awesome for us because that's kind of our – Specialty, you could you, say. You would say that's our wheelhouse. Yeah, you could. But a lot of stuff going on with the Nuggets. They just got back from summer league. Uh, they've basically made the bulk of their moves. Resigned Wilson Chandler. They've resigned Daniel Gallinari. Basically, they've, they've come to terms on a contract. And, and Paul, you wrote a fantastic column today, uh, Clee's blog. What's new and refreshing about the Nuggets? And, and it's basically everything. But you were down there today. You got a chance to talk with with Tim Conley about. Mm. The Ty Lawson trade, something that had been hovering over the team, and yeah, you know, I just appreciated your piece because it. After reading it, it gave me the sense what I've been thinking as well. There's kind of a positive energy and a positive yeah. vibe around this team that hasn't been there mm-hmm. since the '51 season. Mm-hmm. Right, and that was my takeaway about a month ago. It actually came from an idea, Nate, that you gave me. Um, we we're watching a workout, and the idea that the month of June was. And I'm a Nuggets fan, and unabashed, I'll say that. I know we are supposed to stay objective, but that's the one franchise I don't, I really want to win. I care if they win or lose. And the last two years to me have been the most uh, awkward and uncomfortable Nuggets seasons of my lifetime. Yeah. I really felt that. And they needed not only um, a roster overhaul and numerous personnel changes, but I thought that the number one factor that they had to adjust was the locker room culture. And relocating the mojo of that 57-1 team. They're not going to replicate that team because I thought it was a one-of-a-kind one 
unit. Right. It yeah. was a very different style of team. And the best way to describe it was how George described it was this wasn't a low-maintenance team. It was a no-maintenance team. And I thought they had to somehow uh, reconnect to that idea. And so after the last month, and specifically the last couple of weeks, how they've reshaped that culture, I think it's been very positive. And specifically what they did with Gallo today, they have a core of players now that I think are very invested in not only the program, but they're invested in the city. And what we saw from your guy, Wilson Chandler, post on Instagram, I know it seems very minor and very silly, but that was a big deal to me. I saw that and said, all right, here's a guy that you want to have. He left a lot of table on the money to get a contract extension to stay here in Colorado. Gallo re-ups. I think Emmanuel Moutier is going to be a revelation around here. I think he's going to have a mellow-type impact. The impact is just going to come a couple of years later because he's so young. So I think you have a core of guys right now that are invested in the franchise, and that's something that we haven't had in a long time. I especially think with, with Gallinari, just seeing the reactions just from people on Twitter, uh, to Adrian Wojnarowski's original tweet of the Gallo extension, and, and seeing people that probably have never watched a Nuggets game, or you know maybe they saw Gallo back when he played for the Knicks, and there was just this overwhelming sense of who is this guy? Too much money, and to me, this was the biggest move that the team needed to make. I mean, this guy was the leader on the floor, a leader in the locker room, just a a pros pro, but also. 26 years old he turns 27 next month and getting him back into the fold even though it's you know it's a a renegotiation for this year an extension for two years you know it's important i mean this this guy really is the best player on the team but he's also the leader of this team well and 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 i think what people forget is that gallo when he's right and that's you know it was always the caveat with gallo is the injuries but when gallo's right he's the best player on the team and he clearly was that at the end of the year after Ty Lawson had mentally, basically mentally checked out of the year. And I think that getting a high-character guy like that, who, by the way, I've never, nothing ever has been said about Gallo negatively as far as like causing trouble or doing all of that stuff. I think they needed someone as positive and who someone who said on his Facebook today, if I can find this quote, uh, he said... Uh, talk while I find said this. some stuff hey, fill, fill the air while I find this thing <laughs> well, uh. <laughs> my other deal well I, I, I'm kind of going to change the subject after Jeff well, finds the, this tweet but change the subject we're but talking even, about Gallo so you have and Tim Conley's he's referenced this you know he said it when when Jameer Nelson came here uh, when Darrell Arthur came here he referenced guys of when they first find out they're coming to Denver maybe they didn't want to be here but they're able to re-sign Jameer Nelson who is another I, I think a high character guy mm-hmm. and Darrell Arthur I, I've kind of linked him being kind of a bit of an outdoorsman. He likes Colorado, but getting him back in the mix is important just to, just to have that kind of leadership. You found it, Jeff? Yeah, I did. Uh, Gallo said, Denver is such a wonderful city, a great place to live, wonderful weather, and in these years my team has always been my, by my side. And it's like at the end of the year he gave an interview with an, one of his Italian, go-to Italian publications where he said he was always on the same page with the organization when – the previous coach wasn't with him, and I think that was one of the big takeaways. For you got like the, the talking the, Brian Shaw, the Brian, yes, yes, Brian Shaw. Then where the the organization seemed to be on Gallo's side, so to speak. And I think there was some multiple times that some teams wanted to trade for him. It's good to have 
guys you want on your roster who want to be where you're, they're at, especially with people who have potential talent like Gallo does. Mm-hmm. So let's... And it, it's it's you can't really overstate, and, and I don't want us to make it sound like these guys are going to be the third seed in the West next year. I mean, this is this is a three or four year project. Yeah. It's going to be a long haul, but I do think that they have a foundation in place of character guys that believe you can win here, and that isn't usually the case. Not not only isn't always the case, it isn't usually the case. And you have the Lawson scenario right now, and I thought this was kind of a dynamic that struck me was Emmanuel Moutier was wearing that Matumbo jersey the other day and our friend Tim Gelt took a snapped a photo of yep, it and at, it was a couple days earlier I think Ty was wearing a Bulls jersey and I said well there's your transition right there yeah and that's <laughs> that struck me um, but I am a, I know we're going to get into that more but I'm a big believer in what Emmanuel Moutier can do around here. And once, a, once upon a time, Carmelo Anthony was wearing a throwback Alex English jersey. So <laughs> things go. can change. But I told I told uh, I told change. Gelt I said if uh, Moutier really wants to impress me, he'd wear a Joe Wolf throwback jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the here's the uh, the devil's advocate part of it. And Paul, you you hinted at it. Uh, I read on Hardwood Paroxysm there's a suggestion that after the Nuggets traded Lawson, that they should go ahead and trade Gallinari as well. You know, get the draft picks, rebuild. You know, quote unquote, properly as, as some people suggest, and with bringing Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Darrell Arthur back, the question that you know is on people's minds is: Is that going to make them stuck in mediocrity? Do they have to get a top five pick next season, draft a guy like Ben Simmons? I mean, I think we all know that the Nuggets, if they actually want to keep going and progressing and, and become a real threat in the Western Conference. They need a top player, right? I mean, they need a top 25, top 10, top 15 NBA caliber player. Do, do these moves of bringing back these semi-veteran players, does that stick this team? Are they stuck in mediocrity? I think that's a really good point. And if if Gallo were 30, if he was, if he was 30, 31 years old, and you're extending him at that point, I would really question it. But when we were talking before the show, he's 26. Yep. And that's hard to believe because of how long not only he's been here, but how young he was when he came into the league. Right. So I still think that Gallo's best years are ahead of him. And and that's if his body doesn't break down again. But I, I think it goes beyond his ability to. It's that idea of what we we're talking about, that he really wants to be here. And that was so – it was such a disaster the last two years. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah. At all times. And then you add another voice to the front office with Pete Alessandro. And I, you guys know better than anyone, I've been really, really critical of, of Josh Cronkett because I think he's in way over his head. I think he's out of his league. And I thought bringing in Pete was a very negative move. I thought it undermined Tim Conley. But the last couple of days makes me feel a little bit better that maybe they're not just playing for now to get people in the seats, which I thought last year... They made so many moves February, January that just didn't make sense for the long-term future of the club. Now it looks like they are pointing at two or three or four years down the road. And I think that's really important in the West right now because <laughs> you see what the West is doing. And that's a, that's a good, a huge question. You know, the Nuggets front office, Tim Conley entering, I believe, his last year of his deal. Pete D'Alessandro, who it's no secret, was supposed to take over from Masai Ujiri as a general manager. Mm-hmm. He's back in the mix. You know, is he the one coming up with these creative, 
re-signings of Chandler and Gallinari, the renegotiation and extension. He was the guy that helped sign those deals under Masai Ujiri. And then you have Josh Kroenke. And I I heard Alfred Williams, I caught the last two seconds of his show on the drive today, and and he said, do the Nuggets have another three-headed monster on their hands? Where it's, you know, if a team calls, you know, who's in charge, who's making decisions? And, And we were told that, you know, D'Alessandro is going to be helping out with the Avalanche and the Nuggets, and then it just, you know, officially it kind of looks like it's just the Nuggets, right? They hired somebody else to handle Avalanche duties. Who well, they are, bumped Greg Sherman up. Yes. From yet, yeah. So who is making decisions for them, and, and will Conley be around to see, you know, the vision that, that he's kind of put together of, of Nikola Jokic, Yusuf Nurkic, Gary Harris, Emmanuel Moutier? Those are his guys. And, and to me... That's what we had with Masai. Masai's guys, in a sense, were you know Gallinari, Chandler, McGee. We never got to see his full vision. We never got to see it. Are we going to see that under Tim Conley? You know, are they? You're handing out extensions. Maybe you should hand one out to him because this is his plan. Mm-hmm. And if you interrupt it after two years, and you know, Paul, like you're saying, if, if it is a two or three year plan, if you don't have the guy whose vision it was, then you don't have it anymore. It's a really good point, and I think when you look at the first season with Tim, I think they used a lot of stopgap. I, I use the term hired mercenaries, and I know that yeah. has a very um, dark tone to it, but yeah. that's what it was. It was it was Nate Robinson, it was J.J. Hickson, and it was guys that you knew were only here for a couple of years, and they were here for one purpose, and that was to make sure people attend games that you don't lose or that you win 40, 45 games because you have those guys, but it does nothing for your future. You're not building any kind of foundation. And it looks to me like now they have a little bit of that foundation and you've got some character guys. Uh, the NBA is so different in that you, a lot of teams will still search out guys with shaky histories and baggage if they can ball. Yeah. And it's really different than hockey. And even in the NFL, I know as bad as the, as bad as the PR has been the last couple of years, but character still matters in those circles. And I, I think that the Nuggets do have some character guys in this team right now. They're invested in it. Well, uh, Mark Workentine was pretty famous for searching out guys who had talent above character. Um, yeah. His guys, his favorite guys were like uh, J.R. Smith. Mm-hmm. You heard um, he was trying to bring in like Ron Artest, Ron Artest Zach yeah. Randolph. He wanted talent Ooh. over everything else. And uh, it, it, you can't, obviously, you can't have a situation where you have all choir boys, but you can't have a situation where you have all been negative influences. And I think that the Nuggets have to thread that needle of character and talent. Now, it seemed like they kind of have that with Moutier. It's going to, this is really early. We're all very excited about Moutier, but we really need to see regular season. And it's going to be a couple-year process, as you said. We can't just assume that he's going to jump in and have that kind of effect, other than it being a more fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Andy Feinstein and I uh, kind of agree on this. Is where our, our, One of our favorite Nuggets teams, and I think Nate actually agrees with this too, is uh, the 92-93 Nuggets. They had a rookie, LaFonso Ellis, a rookie, Bryant Stith, actually who was injured that year, um, Marcus Liberty, a, bu- a bunch of you know really young guys, and they had Matumbo and uh, Chris Jackson, and it was a team that was actually really fun to watch. They were a very positive team, and they like had great 
buzzer-beating wins against the Clippers and the Suns that year, the last game of the year. One of my favorite memories ever is Chris Jackson heaving up a three-pointer to beat Charles Barkley's Phoenix Suns that went to the finals that year, you know, last game of the year. And that was a fun team to watch, and they won 36 games that year. And I hope that the That's Nuggets... pretty good for a young team. Yeah, and I hope the Nuggets <laughs> follow that path because that team was going up, up, up until Bill Bernie destroyed them. And I think if the Nuggets can get to a point where they kind of follow that track where you're fun to watch, but you're still, you know, um, building something, that's what they need to do. You don't need to be the 76ers. You don't need to be a team that's completely gutted their roster to the point where they're just waiting, 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 waiting. You need to have build and have fun and be competitive. That's how you fill the seats, and that's how you get fans to basically care about you, I think. I thought you brought up a good point there where you said that, that Bernie kind of tore that team down. Like He didn't have the belief in it, and it, was, it wasn't that the team was bad. It was that the front office was bad. Yeah. And that's what the Nuggets have to try to safeguard against is allowing this vision to kind of – everybody needs to grow together in a sense. And, you know, obviously we don't know, what, like you are saying with Moutier, maybe he turns out to be a, a franchise-altering player, maybe not. But I'll tell you this, watching him at Summer League and, and seeing some of the passes he was making, we sat mm. underneath the hoop there. Mm. And he had this play. He was coming kind of at an angle, basically kind of from the elbow of the three-point line, driving in towards the hoop. And he threw this pass back out to the perimeter where he it was blind. He just threw it to a spot knowing that's where a guy was going to be. But he had a spin on the ball where it was like the way he released it over his head, you're like, well, that's going to nobody. It's interesting you say that. Today... Um I was talking to Jared Jeffries, who's one of Tim's confidants and a guy that I think is doing really good things for the Nuggets. Yeah. And obviously he knows the game pretty well. And he said that when he was watching Summer League, there were two possessions that made you think Moutier can be more than maybe what even we believe, that he can be like a top ten guy. And he's going to change what they can do on the pick and roll because of his size and while Ty and like you guys I was a big fan of Ty's game yeah. I really loved how Ty Lawson and I do love how he plays the game everything else aside I love how he plays basketball but he couldn't do certain things this is Jeffrey's talking because of his size when he would get around the pick and roll he couldn't get that pass to the corner because he wasn't big enough Moutier gets throws that pass with his off hand yeah. no problem yeah because he has enormous hands too so that's something, just one of those kind of details that maybe we don't know yet, but he's going to open things up because of the different things he can do just athletically. I thought it was going to be, it's going to be nice too seeing him throwing, you know, passes back out to the perimeter to guys like Gallinari versus, mm-hmm. you know, he had a heck of a summer league, but Ian Clark is no Danilo Gallinari. No. You know, and Gary Harris as well, you know, it's just, it's going to be very interesting to see how he progresses and. Well, let me ask you a question since we've moved on to Moody. And then I want both of you guys to answer this honestly. I'm always honest with you, Beats. <laughs> I've never lied to you, that's man. Right, that's right. I, I'm, gl- I'm glad. I'm glad. I love that, I love that should, part. You should, you, should, you should remind him to be honest with you. We oh, should no. tell everybody <laughs> that Jeff, the king of Thornton, is, his name is actually Beats. My, my name is Beats. 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 Beats, Beats, Beats. Beats. Hashtag Beats. Um, both of you, I want. I want. I'll, I'll serve it to you, Paul, first, and then Nate. Nate, you can follow up. Is there's Moutier's shooting is pretty, pretty, pretty bad, mm-hmm. and this is a league that really is moving towards a guards that point guards that you really have to be able to shoot. 
are you worried in the sense that he's going to head down a Rajon Rondo path where he's, his shot never improves? Or is he like Russell Westbrook or Jason Kidd where he will pr- improve? Because I, right now we don't really have any evidence either way. You know, it's too early to tell. But, uh, you know, he does have some Rondo-esque things where he's able to pass and, and really get to find that guy. And he's able to grab rebounds like uh, both Lieber and Rondo, but his shooting is still way, way off. Is this a more wait and see for you, or is it a worry that you have going forward with Moutier? I, it, is, it is a legitimate concern. And the reason I say that is because of what we saw with John Wall early in his career, that he can't shoot, and he, he's become a better shooter. I think he will become a better shooter because he spends an extraordinary amount of time in the gym. And the best source, I guess, I could say on that was Larry Brown, who recruited him to Southern Methodist, and he was going to be a freshman for them when he decided he wanted to go play professionally in China. And I asked him about that the other day, what about his shot? And he said, uh, Emmanuel Moutier is a better John Wall. And that struck me. Because you know how Larry Brown feels about point guards. Yes. I mean, he is the point guard guru. And he said he's a better John Wall, and that struck me. So I, I'm less concerned about that because of someone like him with his reputation believing in what he can become. And also, I think there's something different about him. I, I think that this is going to sound really cheesy, but it's the way he carries himself and the, the, his smile reminds me of Mello when he was 19 or 20. And he just kind of. He just seems to embrace the idea of being the center of attention. And that's a lot to take on. But I think he knows what comes with it, and he's going to do what he needs to do. So he's going to need some help. I mean, this team is far from complete. They need a shooting guard real bad. And maybe that's Wilson, and it might be, but a long-term shooting guard. Because you've seen how Brad Beal has really helped out John Wall in that regard. But the shot is a concern, but I think all of the other factors – um, make it a non-issue for me. I remember just seeing a, a couple of things at Summer League. He shot free throws. He obviously shot a bunch of free throws out there, but paying attention to a couple of them, he had different forms on his free throw shot from the first one to the second one. Like the first one, he was his his knees were locked, and he just shot it with his arms. And the second time, he kind of had a little bounce in his knees. He just doesn't seem to have a set way of how to shoot the ball yet. We yeah, saw it's it. wacky. And he, he relied a lot in Summer League 2 on, on fallaway jumpers, which is good because you're going to need that at times. You know, you need that one-legged Dirk Nowitzki fallaway jumper. You're going to be able to rely on that. But it did concern me, and it does concern me, that he has different shooting motions all the time. He shoots on the way down sometimes. You know, he shoots on the way up sometimes. He's off balance. He jumps in the air kind of high at times. And, you know... I remember just, obviously this is no comparison, but I could never shoot when I was a kid. I couldn't shoot, and it drove me nuts, and I wanted to be able to shoot yeah. threes, so I just worked at it and worked at it, and I found ways that were you know that would help me out. So I do think, and like Paul alluded to, he's a gym rat, you know, and he does want to be great, and he keeps saying, he, somebody asked me as well, they said, is this guy for real with what he says? You know, because he says everything perfectly, you know, and... I want to believe that he is because he he said at summer league a bunch of times too. He's like, I want to eventually. He just, I want to win. I want to play for championships. That's what this game's about. Isn't it funny how we're searching for like this basketball savior and we're just ready to, you yeah. Know. And, 
grass. You know, part of that is like I, that's what I'm pr- trying to protect against because I think I think there's too much a little right now, and I think people need to understand it is what it is. He's showing what he is now, but don't project onto him something that's not yet. And I think that would be unfair to him because truly there's a very good chance he's either going to be starting with Randy Foy in the pack court or Gary Harris. Randy Foy is, uh, if as long as he doesn't log a lot of minutes, is okay. Um, Gary Harris can't shoot to save his life. And the Nuggets are in a position right now where you have shooting guards who can't shoot. I thought, I thought too, you know. Scott Hastings, when, on the radio interview I did yesterday with him, brought up some good points of Tony Parker's not a great shooter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he wasn't. He's better. Russell Westbrook, you know, Rajon Rondo, John Wall. Like, these guys, you put other pieces around them that can help them, you know, because I think I would rather – I've been thinking about this with D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell is a guy that kind of plays outside in, right? Like, his game starts on the perimeter. He's got to beat you with his jumper. Mm-hmm. Moutier beats you by just – killing your defense he just breaks it down and makes you have to rotate or double team and, and find him when he's going to the rim and to me him being able to do that and you know break down the defense and mm-hmm. feed the ball to the perimeter is going to be and how he plays in the pick and roll is going to be more valuable than than his shooting and i don't think you have to be a, he doesn't have to be a 38 percent three-point shooter you know, he can get by on being a 33 or 34 percent three-point shooter throughout his career and, and Jeff like you're saying Kevin O'Connor of SB Nation had a great piece about preaching patience with Moutier as well like yes we want him Paul like you said we want him to be the next Carmelo we want him to be the next Alex English the even better we want him to be the guy that takes this team not only to the NBA finals for the first time ever but to win a damn championship yeah but he's only 19 so it's you know it's gonna take a while rub. how do you how do you get there and, and what do they have to do and you know, and then the other thing is that we're not even really talking about is the guy that really brought a lot of craze last year was Yusuf Nurkic, mm-hmm. second-team all-rookie. Well, my concern in that, as far as that goes is that I don't want a post-heavy offense. I just I don't want an inside-out approach because I, the NBA has really moved away from that. And with Nurkic there, it's almost like they're trying – it seems like the antithesis of running a fast offense – with having something that is post-dominant. That is where I'm kind of on the fence right now with Mike Malone because he ran a lot of post-ups with Rudy Gay and uh, DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. Now, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins, you have to kind of run a lot of post-action for him. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic is not in that area. He is a second-year player uh, who is coming off a patella injury. I, I mean, my worry is that the Nuggets will resort to a lot of post-ups, and it's just going to kind of kill what they really need to be doing, and they really need to be playing fast at home mm-hmm. to really run people out of the gym. So, I mean, do you have any concerns going forward, Paul, with that kind of thing with Mike Malone, or is it are you just wait and see? I, I think that um, I'm actually really excited about Mike Malone. I am. And yeah. let's do one of these in, in January and <laughs> see where we stand, <laughs> because we're going to learn a ton of what he wants to do in a very short time. I think you have a pretty good understanding on a coach after a couple of weeks, even, a lot of times. And we saw it in Sacramento with him, too, that you saw, you know, he had things going in the right direction before they pulled the plug. Um, I, I think I'm still just kind of, use the Tim Conley word, giddy about 
the <laughs> reforming the culture over there because it was so broken. And I didn't think it was so much a schematic changes that need to be made or the X's and O's side, but it was just, it was awkward. And it was, nobody wanted to be in the building, you know? And yeah. that's a bad workplace to fans. have. Not, not even the fans. Not even especially. <laughs> not yeah. well, it was, so that's what I'm happy about, that they have that back a little bit. Moutier was asked at Summer League as well. A reporter asked him, you know, what do you know about Mike Malone? Or, or what's, what's one word you'd use to describe him? And Moutier said defense. You know, and then he, Moutier expanded a little bit when they asked him about his relationship with Malone. And Moutier referenced that, you know, he didn't have a dad growing up. His dad passed away. And he said he kind of looks for father figures, and he's kind of looking to Malone to be that kind of guy. And, you know, he kind of bashfully said, uh, you know, I, I asked to watch film with Malone. You know, and Malone, you know, can I watch film with you, coach? And Malone was like, yeah, anytime you want. You know, so they're, you know, that relationship is already forming. And I do think from watching what they did at Summer League, they stuck true to their word of use defense to create fast break offense. They did that at Summer League as well as when they were in the half court, they had a lot of different motion going on. You know, they ran a lot of different screens. I mean, they were, they were screening away from the ball. They were screening on the ball. There's a lot of motion in that offense, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it because I, I tend to think that Malone wasn't giving us a load of crap about wanting to play fast like Brian Shaw did. I think he's actually going to try to figure that out, but also going to put in this motion-based offense, which to me is, is very important, but it all starts with Again, Moutier having the ball in his hands, but I'm excited about you know a lot of pieces on this team. I'm excited when, about when what they took away. I know from that when they were watching film was the one point of emphasis that Malone made with Moutier was his pick and roll defense, and that he's never had to get up in a guy when he's coming off the pick and roll. He never had to do that in China. He didn't have to do that in high school because he just overwhelmed people. Yeah, but that was the point of emphasis with him. So I'm interested to see that in the preseason. I like that. He asked so many questions of management that they finally, about the franchise. They finally just said, here's a media guide. <laughs> Read this. Because he wanted to know, like, what was the scoring leader? Who was the greatest player? When did they last win a championship? Those kinds of things. And that's, that's positive to me, that he, he wants to know about it. And he said that, too, in, in Vegas. He said, you know, this team's never even been to the finals. Mm -hmm. And it was like, and Jeff, I know that's big for you. You love guys that know Nuggets history that are Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, there's certain people I've been around who are familiar with certain players on the Nuggets history that you would think they should and should know, but it's like, I, it's one of those situations where you need to know that your history, and if you don't know your history, the Nuggets, you're not going to succeed here. And Brian Shaw clearly didn't know the history of the Nuggets. And had no interest in and learning it. And had no interest in learning it. I he mean, was a Laker. Yeah. I remember uh, when Dan Issel came in, oh, his first year, and Issel came in was doing uh, some broadcasts, and we were asking Shaw about him. And you're kind of like, he gave the perfunctory, like, yeah, anytime there's a guy like that around the team, you know, it's pretty cool that he's done some things and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, do you really know who he is? <laughs> Do you, do you know who this guy is? That was a troubling time <laughs> in Nuggets history the last two years. It always it felt like, and not to re regress, go back to that, but it was always like this was a a um, like a triple A club for him. Yeah, he looked down on the Nuggets. It, you know, it always went back to his time with Phil Jackson, or his time with Kobe. Well, yep. 
I don't really want to hear about Kobe <laughs> yeah. at all. He doesn't have a good history in Colorado. No, I have no interest in hearing what Kobe did. I, I'll, I'll tell, None. I'll tell you one of the biggest mistakes he made, and if it was even a mistake as, uh, from his perspective, it's probably deliberate, um, was when he came in and basically implied that the 57-team win team that he was taking over was a gimmick. Was a gimmick. <laughs> and the, he lost the players immediately. I mean, that was like the player the, at that point. That's where Brian Shaw lost lost the locker room, and it was like you don't come into a fifty seven win team and say, "Well, what you did was cute." I mean, that was where his and, words. And the real ironic part about that is those Nuggets swept his Pacers and yeah. wiped the floor with them one time. <laughs> and if you put them in the East, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, no questions asked. They might be in the NBA Finals. Yep. So. I think it was trivializing a really, really good team, you, action ball. Do you guys think at all that the trade of Ty Lawson, that the the Nuggets feel like Moutier can get to a level that Lawson was at sooner rather than later? Like It, it almost feels like re-signing Gallo and Chandler, that they feel like they are going to be back in a playoff race in you know two or three years. That worries me. It worries me that they don't have a long term, that they want to be 45 wins because they know that you can average however many fans. And that, to me, has been the crown GMO, that you have to be just good enough to keep people interested, but you don't necessarily have to build a real contender. You just have to be just good enough, which is very much in contrast to what we see with the Broncos, where that's not good enough. And I still think they're the blueprint for everything. I don't think there's any disagreement there. But that worries me a little bit, and that would tell me that Tim has not gotten as much pull as he should as a GM. What did you think of the Ty Lawson trade itself and what they got back, the timing of it, you know, just the all-encompassing? What would you have done if you were the owner or the general manager with Ty? I, you know, they came at it from this standpoint – that they witnessed with Gilbert Arenas and John Wall, two dynamic guards in D.C., that that wasn't going to work. It, and they learned very quickly it wasn't going to work, and they didn't want to see that repeated, I think. Um, I think that, that they've known about the issues he's had for a long, long time. This isn't anything new. It just became a very public issue recently. I think even, even Cronky referenced in the article of Spears mm-hmm. that you know, Lawson has always had an affinity for burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think it's just drinking. But I also think, and just real quick, not to get on a soapbox by any measure, but I, I think it's easy to, to, I guess, and you guys haven't done it, which is awesome, but to ridicule alcoholism. I think that's something to do to make a joke out of it. It's not a joke, man. That's, that's serious stuff. And, and so I think it's easy to blame everything on Ty, but, you know, some of that, to me at least, is out of his control because it is a very serious problem that you have to get help for. So... Hopefully he does and all that, but whatever. Um, I think that they couldn't – the only two teams seriously expect, expressed interest in Ty Lawson, and one of them was not the Mavericks even before Darren Williams went there. It was the Lakers and it was the Rockets. And the Lakers offered him a deal with Ryan Kelly, Nick Young, and a filler guy. And the Nuggets said no to that. And then the Rockets came with this stuff, which I guess gave them one of their favorite words, flexibility. And they decided to go that direction. Personally, I kind of like the idea of Nick Young playing with Emmanuel Moutier as a bailout option for him, especially when he's young. But um, I can see why they did this. It's obviously a really bad deal for the Nuggets. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, I don't. 
I think it's a bad deal, but I think it's kind of one of those things that you maybe had to do, and there was no way around it. Well, it's it's hard to. Then let me let me backtrack a little. I I wrote an article yesterday about my reflection on my birthday on Sunday, where I was just obliterated. <laughs> And right. I'm like, the news broke. They traded Ty right as I was in basically incapacitated. And the next morning, among having one of the worst hangovers I've ever had in my life. What's your drink of choice, Beats? That's what I'd like to know. Uh, well, this was an interesting day because I, uh, I started the day with bottomless mimosas at Hamburger Mary's. And then we went from there. That's always going to lead to a hangover. To, we went from there to... Uh, Andy's pool, which was amazing. It was a fun time, and we had vodka there. And then I just, you know, kept drinking. And uh, <laughs> at, at that point, you know, I, when you're when your evening when beats, beats woke up an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, when your when your day ends at seven p.m., that's when you know that you know you've been day drinking. But anyway, I was very hungover, but I, I was like really thinking about Ty, and I'm like, you know, here I have been wagging my finger at him morally about about making mistakes and he's had these you know these issues since college basically and the nuggets have known about them the entire time he's been in the NBA and he's experienced them and i had to look at myself and say well what am i doing i i couldn't write an article on sun on uh, sunday because i was drunk and oh, that's really well said it's like how can i sit i mean i but i had a support group of friends who made sure i didn't get in trouble and I don't know if Ty does. I honestly don't know if Ty has that that kind of surrounding group who can keep him from being a danger to himself. And in the NBA life is very isolating. You know, it's you know it's great to have all this fame and money and all all this stuff, but you don't really have that many friends. And the ones you do have, you better make damn sure they're good influences because they hold a lot of sway over your life. And you know, with Ty, whether it be friends or whether it be girlfriends. It's going to be like that. And whether Ty gets himself clean, not clean, I shouldn't say that, but whether he gets himself to a better place is something that he's going to have to do himself. And he's going to have to decide that himself because at this point, no one, he isn't that point where he makes too much money to have people in his life where he, I mean, it, it, well, he's going to a team too that, uh, has that a likes, reputation. They, they're a bit of a party animal. James Harden, James Dwight Harden. Howard. Yep, that's Howard's gonna, not a not a drinker, I guess, but he likes to. He is always in the clubs. Yeah, it's going to be right. awesome. They're immediately my second favorite NBA <laughs> team next year. I, I, I'll say this though: that there's a couple dudes in in the D, in Virginia in that area, DMV area, that Ty grew up with that have no communication with him anymore, and so those roots aren't there anymore. And a couple of them were really big influences, big AAU figures that are close with a lot of NBA stars because that area has put out so many just big time players, and they don't speak anymore, and that's that's you know that's rough. So, um, but also I liked what you said there, Jeb Beats. Excuse me. I read yeah, some. Get it right. Paul. I read some <laughs> in, a, in Denver publication a few weeks back, and it doesn't need to be repeated, but just kind of wagging a finger and shame on you. Well, dude. Give me a break. You know, it, it, that's ridiculous to shame someone like that when it's an issue that has obviously spiraled out of control. That's not what he needs. 
And I thought that that was really an unnecessary column that I read. But yeah. um, I, th- I think the, racket, the Rockets are going to be just either boom or bust. I'd put Jeff's last paycheck just as a uh, fun little wager if I was a wagering man that they win the NBA championship next year. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not high on them. I think they could be really freaking awesome next year with that starting five that they have. I kind of thought about the deal from the, from the Nuggets' perspective. It's like when you have a used car and you're going to buy a new one, and you're thinking, all right, sweet, I'm going to get like 5000 on a trade-in for this thing, and you know, I'll be set. And you go in there, and they're like, oh, your engine actually has really bad problems. Right? We can actually <laughs> only give you 500 for this. And you're going, oh, shit. Because the Nuggets, you know, they needed – I kind of compa- – I, I thought about it from the Mellow perspective. You know, you trade Carmelo, you get back building block pieces. You get back Gallo, Chandler. You get these draft picks, the pick swap with the Knicks coming up. You know, you get stuff that's going to help you moving forward. And with Lawson, you didn't really get that. You just got, like you said, Paul, flexibility. The Gus Macker team and a first-round pick. Yeah, you get you get that. You know, and it's it's tough from the Nuggets' perspective. But I, you know, if they had Magic Vision and they they could have traded him before his first DUI, then maybe you maximize his value. But I didn't I didn't think that keeping him. How do you keep him? And then you know, at the trade deadline. Then you try to deal him for more. I just don't see how that would have worked, especially because you couldn't bring him back into the mix. And I don't think Jameer Nelson would have resigned here, knowing that Ty Lawson was going to be on the team. It, he wasn't going to. He didn't want to be a third point guard, mm-hmm. you know. And you couldn't. You couldn't really afford to. And the Nuggets not like play. Jameer, by the way. They yeah. they like him, and and Jameer really stepped up last year as a leader of this team. And what's interesting is too, I asked Conley that today. Who's the guy next year? That when you lose four straight, who's the guy that puts him in line? He said it was Jameer, and he's not even a starter. Now he becomes Emmanuel Mudiay in a couple of years, but right now they feel like it's Gallo and Jameer Nelson, which is kind of an interesting deal. But that's another guy that could have gone elsewhere. But decided to stay here. Who starts at point guard for the Nuggets? Is it Moutier? Day I think one? so. I, I think do. so too. And and I, I, I think, I, I think it, they can't afford to start Jameer. I mean, they yeah. they can. It's just they they put all their all their eggs into that basket, and they have to start him. And we'll see if he's uh, you know it's going to be culture shock for him. And he's it's been a long time since he's played an extended amount of games. Mm. And that's going to be another issue is because, you know, he went from high school to playing eight games in China. I think even if he starts, you know, though, and he averages, let's say he averages 20 minutes a night, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jameer average 23. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. And you referenced, uh, I think, that Chris Mannix story from SI when he was um, shadowing Emmanuel Moutier. Yeah. And he was talking about how teammates smoking at halftime, showing up to practice yeah. with a hangover, maybe even drunk. So that culture factor that you're talking about, I don't think a lot of this is going to phase him until maybe late January, February, when you're 60 games in. And that's, right. that's a wall that it hit Nurkic last year. It's the it hit rookie wall. Big time. Yep. It's a very real thing. So maybe he starts out well. We see him fade a little bit. But, man, this kid's going to be different. I really think he's going to be special. I kind of feel like an, another guy that's going to – might be a building blocker, a guy that they want to be is, is Nikola Jokic, the second-round pick. We got to see him finally – you know, live and in person, we got to see him on, on TV. Uh, with him, I think he might be the odd man out with, you know, Darrell Arthur back in the mix, Galloway able to play some, some power forward. You have Nurkic, you have Joffrey Laverne, J.J. Hickson still on this team. I think that they're going to bring along Jokic a lot slower than Moutier. But I think Jokic has 
the tools to be a solid starting level player in the league. He's I'd like to hear what you player. had, what you thought about him out there, because I didn't. I only watched him a couple times. He's a hell of a passer. Yeah, he's he. He doesn't have any strength yet. Like he got he got bullied by Willie Tavares of the Hawks, the seven three. He got pushed under the rim. He had pretty good footwork, you know, in the post on on offense and defense. Showed a little bit of some shooting range. Hit a couple of threes. Looked okay. Didn't seem phased. Free throws okay. Again, he was another guy that can really pass the ball. I mean, he threw a blind pass, or he caught the ball around the free throw line midair and, and swung it out to the perimeter blind to Eric Green in the corner. So I mean, he seems like another guy that just has, you know, passing ability. And I, I said it the other day. I said, you know. They got all these great passers. They need guys that can put the ball in the hole eventually. But I thought Jokic showed a lot of promise. I thought he looked like a, a guy, a legitimate prospect that has tools, but he's got a long way to go. I think if they can get an entire roster of foreign-born players just to see how Chris Marlowe <laughs> handles it on the broadcast. Night! He's going to have to come up with a lot of, uh, lot of catchphrases in other it's languages. Bunny hop in the pee patch. <laughs> well, even Zach Lowe had that. Uh, he had a clip in his article of, I guess, Kenneth Reed shouting out cuss words to Yusuf Nurkic in Bosnian because <laughs> Nurkic had taught other guys curse words. I completely forgot about Farid as well. Farid's in the mix. So he's still on the team. Kind of. But, it, you know, what are they going to do with all these big guys? They've got a plethora of big men. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Nurkic is going to be ready to go day one with his rehab yeah, from injury. I, the, the, the Farid thing is interesting because obviously the Nuggets are kind of locked in with Farid right now. But I just I I don't know how well his game is going to co- translate to Mike Malone. He is the wild card right here. I think every other player can. can Man, Beats, I'm feeling so good about my Nuggets right now, and you're bringing <laughs> me down with all this <laughs> with negativity. All this, I, I'm sorry. Um, uh, um, Kenneth Fareed uh, will do <laughs> awesome. I think awesome. Mike, Michael Malone. This is he may be the most important figure in this entire thing. Is he the guy you have for a dozen years? Yeah. You yeah. know, and we probably learned very quickly if he is that. And a promising thing about him, I think, was a college coach who hired him as an assistant. Because I looked at this front office, and there's so many voices in a very small room. How is the coach managing that while also managing the team that's his first responsibility? And that coach said the thing that stood out to him more than anything else is he will take input from everybody but he's still going and he'll apply it to what he does it's very much not a dictatorship and this it's not a case where this is how we did it so this is how we're going to do it he's going to be flexible with his roster and I, I think that that's very promising if that's actually the case I think he's also strong enough and I think he showed it in Sacramento that he's not going to take advice from people that don't really know the game mm-hmm. you know or he's at least going to maybe he'll pretend he listens. You know, he didn't do the four-on-five deal or whatever the hell Vivek wanted him to do. <laughs> you know, and that's important, too, because you have to – you can't be a yes-man as a coach. You just – you can't do it. you got to be – you get the strongest voice in the room. But you also have to be able to convince guys that you actually are listening to them. And, and like his, his opening press conference, the best part about that was he knew that first question that came was, are you going to play fast? And he didn't yeah. automatically say, yes, absolutely. We're going to run. We're going to, this is going to be fast and furious. He didn't say that, and he very easily could have, and I thought Brian Shaw did that. He said we're going to defend to create offense, and I like that. He stood by his guns. They have to have a belief in what they're doing 
because too often it fluctuated over the last couple of years. Yeah. So who who's off this team? Hmm. Or did they make any more moves? I think who's they off this team by opening night? Maybe one more. Try to make one more move. I think. I think they're going to try one more, but I don't know if they can. Um, they're, they have 15 guaranteed contracts right now. Um, and they can carry up to, I think, 20 into yep. camp, and then they have to cut down to you know 15 or below. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do this because they're going to have to bring in bodies for camp uh, when, when training camp starts. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the Nuggets will try to do one more move for something, maybe try to trade one of these ancillary players that they have. But You're not talking I, about Costas Papa Nicolau, are you? Uh, <laughs> I don't. The sweet shooting lefty. I, I don't even know if they're going to. I have no idea. I mean, the Greek. I, I don't even know if they're going to keep him. I know. I, I have no idea what they're going to do with this guy. He's on the, one of the weirdest contracts in the NBA. Absolutely. I mean, he plays one year, gets this weird deal where he's at four point eight million this year. How does a rookie, fully non guaranteed? How does a how does a how does a rookie get that kind of deal? I mean, who's not a? It's like his agent wasn't an English speaker. And Daryl Morey just completely pulled a fast one. <laughs> I don't know. Nick Nick Johnson was down at the practice gym today. Was he really? He's yeah. already in Denver? Yeah, he was down there working out and getting treatment and stuff. And I don't know if he can play at all, but Did looks, you watch him in Arizona? You had to have your college hoops guy. I did, and I watched him beat my Zags. And yeah. so I haven't let yeah. go. I so he's got a little bit of resentment going on. I haven't let go of that yet. Arizona's <laughs> kind of our on-the-peripheral rival right now, and i I'm not dealing with the cats right now. If Aaron Lopez is listening, I'm not, learning, I'm not listening. I'm not hearing your guys right now, Elo. But um, Nick Johnson looks like he could be Chris Harris. He's built like a house. He's enormous, and I didn't know he was like that. I don't know if he can play, but he's certainly got the body well, for he's, it. He's Dennis Chris Jones. Harris, Dennis Johnson's Broncos quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my greatest story was at the not greatest story. My worst, <laughs> most say, infamous, embarrassing story. story. <laughs> I'm talking to Nick Johnson. I do research. I you know I find out all this stuff about him and. Somehow one thing falls through the crack, and I'm talking to him, and I go, so, you know, not necessarily who you try to mirror your game after, but who are some guys that you like to watch growing up? Or, you know, and he goes, oh, you know, I mirrored my game after my uncle. You know, he was my hero, and blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, and who's your, what was your uncle's name? Dennis? Dennis Johnson? <laughs> I literally said, Dennis Johnson, the 1979 NBA Finals MVP, the Celtic legend? I had no idea it was your uncle. And Conley was standing kind of close to me, and he's like, Oh, the crack research team <laughs> once again. I felt I was, horrible. I, I was standing horrible. next to I was standing next to Nate, and I'm like going, oh. I just I didn't it didn't come up, and then I I, re, I put in like Nick Johnson uncle, and there's like 18 stories about Dennis Johnson. I was like, oh yeah. I so, apologized to him like twice before he left, and I'm kind of excited that he's on the you know he's he on. You could the be team. friends again. Maybe would Facebook you. Yeah, I'm my, try, my, I'm my memories of Nick Johnson was when he came in for the workout. It was the first ever video I put up on Colorado Sports Guys. The, the YouTube channel was Colorado Sports Guy. 4.2 million YouTube slash Colorado Sports Guys. Um, was he, like, wor- was working out for the Nuggets and just shooting a bunch of shots, and he missed a dunk at the end. But it was, he was a nice kid. And then he came over, and he was talking to, to me. He talked to Nate first, and, you know, the Dennis Johnson thing. And Nate, I talked to him. I, I got about three, four quotes in for some, something I was writing. And uh, he stops us, and he says, uh, so um, how's Minnesota? And I went, I, I, I don't really know much about it. It's cold. I, maybe not this time of year, but that's all I know. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just going there next. You know, I just want to know, you know. And he's like, oh, okay. But he was an, actually a very de- – he seemed like a nice kid. Um, the guy who did not come across as nice in the last workouts was J- uh, Justice Winslow. 
yeah. who translated horribly to the entire media contingent that was there. Yeah. But the Nuggets wanted. And that's yeah, the, he's the third guy on the list. Yeah. A, he was after uh, Moody and Hazonia. And there was a, like, a, he, his agent, from what I understand, was not happy with the videos that Proceed, came out the workout. of his workout because he literally missed 90% of the shots that he put up. And he was gassed. And he kept going to the side and leaning against the, just gassed. I mean, wheezing. And he taking drinks of water, and Jared Jeffries isn't exactly working him hard at this point, you know. And it was like, I, I called Nate. Uh, Why do you got to bash Winslow every podcast? Because I, I love it. <laughs> um, and I, I called, I called Nate, and I'm like, I've got five minutes of video here, and there's literally 30 seconds of it I can use that will show him in even remotely a positive light. And I'm debating about just skipping a video this week, and he's, and, and he's like, you know, why are you calling me about this? It's your thing. <laughs> so I'm like, <sighs> what? Well, I, I thought it was interesting at Summer League when Denver faced off against Miami. Winslow got hurt in like the first or second quarter and came back in the second half. But there's two instances where he tried to post up Gary Harris. They threw him the ball in the post. He couldn't move Gary. And Winslow is wide. Mm-hmm. He's big. Mm-hmm. He's built like, a, like you were saying with Nick Johnson, he's built like a free safety or something. Mm-hmm. Same height as Gary Harris, I think maybe a you know shade taller, but he couldn't move him, and he got frustrated. He tried twice in the post and couldn't move Gary, and I thought that was kind of that biggest, was interesting. Biggest to me. concern with him coming in um, was that in college at Duke he just overpower dudes. Right. He would just overwhelm them because he's so much bigger and stronger. Well, that's not going to happen in the league, yeah. and I think that that's a big reason he slid like he did. I think it was the only thing I got right in the mock draft was Winslow sliding. Really? And uh, I'm really glad Emmanuel Moutier <laughs> fell to oh, the Nuggets. God. I am, uh, but you're with me here, though. We're disappointed. We that, should be Kings fans right now. Uh, yeah, we're disappointed that uh, Hazonia was. Yeah, he's the guy. I mean, he's. I think he's an MVP. Did you see that dunk he had in uh, summer league? He's that silly. Just, was, I, I I still think he might. If, I, I think he might be the best prospect in this draft. I said second best beforehand. I think he might be the best player out of this draft. I think Mario Hazonia is an MVP candidate before it's done. I have never seen anyone come into the league, a foreign player come into the league with that much confidence, ever. I've never seen that. I mean, he was like staring down a dude, and of course some people don't like that. But it's like... I love it. He was like, he dunked, and he was a ferocious dunk, and then he just let him know. He just let him know, I just dunked on you. And it was like, holy crap. I wish the Nuggets had him <laughs> right now on this roster. I, I like Moutier. I love Moutier. But I'm like, oh, my God, I wish they had Hazonia, too. Yeah, we could have become oh. best friends with him. <laughs> yes, we could have. So, Mario. <laughs> I would just call him Ro. Ro. What's up, Ro? Ro. Ro. <laughs> There's been a debate about uh, nicknames for Moutier, too, which is there was a, a really long one on Denver Stiffs that uh, – got so off track. And yeah, it was too long. Political. Folks, folks, restrain yourselves. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. But there was, so when he played in the Nike Hoop Summit game, his jersey said DR, DR Congo. Congo. Mm-hmm. So we have some couple of readers that are like, let's call him Dr. Congo, which I think is kind of cool. I kind of like it. And, you know, Dr. there's the, Congo. Yeah. I've heard Conley's reference him as just E 
for an E-Man, kind of like He-Man, which is kind of cool. And Obviously, he's probably got to play him his way into a nickname. We're so quick to throw him around. I was going to say, like Beats, that wasn't natural. No. Jeff had to actually drop some yeah. before he could earn the name <laughs> Beats. Yes, yeah. A classic if, nickname example. And if they were horrible songs, you probably wouldn't have called them that. There's, no, but it's outstanding. There's there's some a, it tickles my eardrums. There's some <laughs> unfortunate video out there on the internet of me rapping, trying to rap. So I, I, There's also some of Wade Phillips carrying oaking karaoke so you're in good company oh my god all yeah, right you're all right yeah. me, me and old whistle wade phillips that's, <laughs> paul you just uh, filled the quota for the broncos talk with that line that was awesome Woo-hoo. that was great so is there what are you guys what are your overall lo- looking back we're at the, towards the end of the show now what are your kind of your, your overall thoughts of, of this nuggets team kind of where do they go from here what what is your your feeling on on how things are i think that Next year, you're looking at a 30-win team. And how, about I the, how, about, how about the Knicks? What are they? How many wins do they get? And I think oh they may boy. have more. To be honest with you, they it's the East. I think yeah. the Knicks will do what it takes to make have more wins than the Nuggets. I really do. Yeah. Jose Calderon, Aaron Aflalo, Mello, uh, they can't be, Kylo Quinn, they can't be and Robin Lopez. Robin Lopez. They can't be that bad again. I don't think it's Chris Tapps, I'm, I'm on the Chris Tapps Porzingis bandwagon. Oh yeah, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good. He looked I, pretty good. I, I was, I was very. I, to be honest with you, I was surprised. The when kid, I saw him. the kid, the gym. I know that Ben Simmons is the talk, and he's, whew, he could be something else. But the kid going to Kentucky, Scal, I don't know how you say his last name, Lou, Lou, Lou something. I don't even know who Scal he is. L. Uh, he's a six eleven, real skinny, but he's going to be nuts. He's the one that. Um, you want to have a high draft pick for. You want to have a top three pick for him. And so you hope that the Nuggets re- or the Knicks go in the tank and um, last year happens again and they get that. Did uh, Eskia Booker go anywhere? Did He didn't get drafted, did he? No. He played with the Sixers summer league team in Orlando, I think, or in Utah maybe. Maybe in Vegas. Did he? Yeah, I saw he was on their roster. I don't mm. know if he played. I don't know. I, I think it's yeah. a, it's a, um, it's a nice it's nice to feel positive again because it's been a while. Yeah. And I think this next season is not going to feature many wins, but I think you're going to see um, them start to shape around Emmanuel Moutier. And there's some nights he's going to go for, you know, 28 and 16. And there's some nights he's going to have two and two. And we're going to have to be okay with that. And they're going to have to be okay with that. I just hope they don't get anxious and do anything that would mortgage the future for the right now because they've done that. The, the penthouse suite has done that too often. And that's where I, I kind of am wondering what happens with Jameer Nelson and Emmanuel Moutier. You know, if, if, if it is Nelson that starts, that kind of concerns me. Actually, it definitely concerns me. If Moutier starts from, the, from day one, that alleviates a lot of concern. Um, and like you, Paul, I, I feel like, you know, there's some positivity here around the Nuggets. There's a, there's a sense of direction with this team. Yes, they still have to clean up some things with the roster. Yes, they still have moves to make and additions, subtractions. But there is a sense that there is a direction, and I feel pretty good about it. I like it. Well, I I mean, I'm not negative about the team. In fact, I'm very positive about them, and I think they're going to be a a fun 30-win team as opposed to last year, which was an awful 30, I mean, just dreadful. You want to just claw your eyes out, 30-win team. But this was much, much. I got a much better feeling about this. Um, I, I just think, I, for my own 
like dog that's been beaten by its previous owner kind of thing. I'm very skeptical of Mike Malone <laughs> until I see it. Dog that's been beaten by his owner. <laughs> Beats. <laughs> Come on, Beats. I, I, I just have, I, I, until I see it, I, until I... You're I, a pound puppy. Is I just don't want to see constant post-ups with Nurkic. It's going to bug the crap out of me if that's what happens. But you know what? Whatever. But I just want to see a free-flowing NBA, 2015 NBA offense running out there. And if I see that, I will be happy, and you'll hear no more complaints from me. Happy beats. Happy beats. Dude, we're going to see Moutier splitting, splitting the pick and roll, splitting double teams, feeding Gallo, three-pointers. High-fiving beats at timeout. Yeah. yeah. Jeff will be sitting courtside wearing his be, Gallo yeah, shirt. To, yeah, wearing Gallo shirt, coming down to courtside. <laughs> Gilt will have to sweep me back up to our perch <laughs> up in the nosebleeds. Top Pepsi, yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we've done it. I think we've covered everything. Is there anybody we haven't Sweet. covered on the team? I, I think we've got everyone. I have uh, a couple guys on Twitter that are kind of after me about Eric Green. They really want to see him make the team. And I thought he played good this summer, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if he'll make it. But, you know, they may tell. need a third point guard. What does Nick Johnson play? People say, some say shooting guard. Oh, he he's a two. Point guard he's a two. Though, he's a two. He? He's a two. He's only 6'3". Yeah. Got a lot of small shooting guards Harris, in this Gary roster. Gary Harris is 6'4". I mean, so we I mean, have Randy Foy, Gary Harris, and Nick Johnson. They're all guys that were so – Harris probably wasn't, but Foy and Nick Johnson were supposed to be this point This might guards. be the only team in the league whose point guard is bigger than all three of its shooting guards. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. Because <laughs> Moody is either the same Harkin height or a hair La- taller than Gary. Harkin, Harkin back to the Lakers with uh, Magic Johnson being taller than Byron Scott. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Well, Paul, thank you for joining us. We appreciate the time. Readers, if you don't follow him, it's by Paul Klee on Twitter. Fabulous writer about everything Colorado sports, mainly Nuggets. That's the only stuff I read of his. <laughs> Just kidding. I read most of it. <laughs> I don't read the Rocky stuff. If you write Rockies, I have no idea. Have That's all right. I don't really have an idea either sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be very Broncos-centric over the next couple of weeks, but we've loaded up on Nuggets the last two months. So, so let's do a quick, uh, what's your quick Broncos takeaway? Are they going to win the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of still that, isn't it? That's well, all that matters. Isn't that the weird thing, though? I felt like the last couple of years with Fox that it was about the Super Bowl. I don't mm. feel like it's about the Super They didn't load up this year. I, I don't feel the like Super there's as much pressure. I'll put it this way. I think this Broncos team will be better than the last Broncos team. And that team, while it fell short, was really good for a little while. Mm-hmm. I think that the biggest acquisition they made was actually Wade Phillips. Yeah. And I know that's kind of a strange thing to say, nope. but I mean mm-hmm. personnel-wise too. I think that Wade Phillips is going to change um, how they defend and how aggressive that they are. And I think that defense, there should be no reason it can't be a top-five defense. I think that oh, side man. is very gifted, and now it has someone who's going to use that and use the strengths, play to their strengths. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. I think it's a very interesting, fascinating team. Um, how Peyton will coexist with an offense that he hasn't played in before and Is he going to die on a bootleg? <laughs> you know, the last time he ran it, it was a naked boot around at a Texas stadium, and, and they, they nobody was on that side of the touchdown, field. Touchdown, wasn't so it? That bodes well. That's a good precedent. <laughs> but uh, I'm very interested for this training camp to start. And I will say this just from a fan's perspective. I think the new setup down there is pretty sweet just to watch. Well, the uh, new uh, setup down there at uh, yeah, Dove Valley. Valley. Yeah. It's pretty sweet from a fan's perspective. I still don't have a lot of faith in – um, certain things, but I think that hopefully the culture has changed too, 
because uh, the way last scene that last season ended, they have a lot to live up to. That was the most pathetic performance yeah, was of a Colorado, you know, a guy who grew up here for a Broncos team. I thought it was utterly pathetic, and they've they've got to, you know, they got to get past that yeah. real quick. Do you ever uh, do you ever talk hoops with Chris Harris? He's a hoops head. Yeah, he's a huge hoops fan. He actually was at uh, the KU game up at at uh, Coors Events a couple years ago when. Skia Booker hit that half court shot ah. and brought the uh, <laughs> brought the crowd onto the floor, which was a wild court storm. But he was there for that, and he loves to talk hoops. He loves to talk NBA actually, probably more than he likes to talk the NFL. And I like that about him. He played like with uh, Blake Griffin in Oklahoma, right? <laughs> he did. And he said that I asked him about that once. He said Blake was just okay, yeah. and uh, he turned himself into the the power forward that he is now. That's incredible. <laughs> Who are uh, do you have any go to Broncos guys that you you know get quotes or, or talk with? It's for sure Chris. It's absolutely Chris. He's uh, not only uh, is he um, uh, approachable and open to talking, and a lot of guys aren't because there is so much access in the NFL. But he's really sharp. And I remember going up to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and you know he was hurt and he wasn't there yeah. until midway through Super Bowl week. And when he got there. I asked him about what, what, what do I look for? What's the guy that I need to identify on the Hawks that the Broncos are worried about? And he said someone that I didn't expect. It was Michael Bennett, defensive end. Uh, he said everything the Hawks do revolves around Michael Bennett. So it's little nuggets like that that um, you can get from really insightful, sharp guys like Chris Harris. I like T.J. Ward a lot. Um, yeah. It's mainly defensive guys, actually. Um, I like Derek Wolf because he'll say just about anything. And Terrence Knighton last year was tremendous, but obviously he's gone. So actually, it is mostly defensive guys that, that I go to. But it's a pretty good locker room. We're, we're pretty lucky with that locker room. Because when you have a bad one, as you've seen with the Nuggets the last couple of years, it's very hard to work with. Oh, yeah. I kind of feel like, I don't know why, but I feel like that as fans, because I'm strictly a Broncos fan. I don't cover the Broncos at all. That we don't get that much insight into who these guys really mm-hmm. are. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get you get... Some good feature stories. I'm sure you've, you've had some good ones as well. But I, I feel like I've gotten to know Chris Harris and C.J. Anderson from Brandon Cristal's podcast, yeah, The Peel yeah. of the Onion. Yeah. And those guys, even even C.J. Anderson was, was pretty cool, even hearing that he's a Sacramento Kings fan. Yeah. was kind of annoying, but I, I get it. But how was, how was C.J.? Is he a good guy? He's tremendous. He'd be in my top three, and I feel bad I left him out. But he was his first training camp. He blew out his knee right before they went up to Seattle to play a preseason game. And I had had a long conversation with him the day before. And I was going to run a big feature on him because I thought this guy had a chance. I said, this, he's the sixth back right now, but I think he's the best back. And I knew that Gase really liked him. And actually, Adam Gase tipped me off on that. But, and then he blew out his knee. And he's getting carted off. And he screamed, man. I mean, it was the most just horrible, murderous sound you've heard. And he comes back from that. But what I like about him is he's very genuine. He's very real. The neighborhood he comes from in Northern California is not pleasant. He used to sneak into Cal football games through yeah. a, a hole in the fence <laughs> until his grandmother got really mad at him for that. And uh, he's a real guy, and I think he's someone that you can root for. I, I wrote a few weeks back that they should have gotten rid of Akib Tlaib the day before they signed him. Um, I don't think he's a good <laughs> locker room influence. But... Um, <laughs> I think that, that C.G. Anderson is one of those guys to root for, and I, I think he's a pretty good talent, too. Does, uh, does Cody Latimer see more time this year? That's a good question. I, I, I can't get a good feel on what this new staff feels about him. The last staff was really torn. Um, 
Foxy obviously didn't uh, make him came to eligible maybe even once or twice. I think maybe once or twice he did, yeah. but they were not. They were very torn on his ability at that point. And as a rookie wide receiver, there was a play that they ran down the left side of the field where Peyton threw it behind him. It was supposed to be a comeback route, and he ran a post or something like that. And he didn't. He wasn't on the field again. You can't <laughs> miss a play with Peyton because they will move on very quickly. Um, I think signing Demarius like they did. That makes him the centerpiece of the offense for the next five, four years, well, three years probably. Um, and that signing to me was more about the next guy than 18. I think it's really about the next quarterback, that it makes them more attractive to a Russell Wilson or a Phil Rivers or someone like that because you have Demarius Thomas there. That's what that signing told me. It wasn't about next year. I didn't it even think the, about that. It was the long term. That That's what I took away from that because – I don't think that L.A. will ever go into a season without knowing he has the guy. And whoever that next guy is, I think this DT signing was about him. God, you kind of apply that a little bit to the nuggets of, of bringing back Gallo and Chandler. Of, yeah, yeah. Hey, if they want to go throw max money at Brad Beal next offseason, mm-hmm. you can come play with, with so these that's guys. That's the flaw in the 76ers' plan is that you, know, you want to get people to come there, but when your cupboard's bare. That's the only flaw in the Sixers' plan. There's many. <laughs> Um, but when the cupboard's bare and you're always depending on the draft, you know, you're going to keep cycling through, cycling through, cycling through. And then if you don't hit it, it's just going to keep pushing you back farther and farther. And if you say, oh, we have all these assets in the world. But <laughs> if you don't want any, no one wants to come there in free agency or whatever in a trade. And then you, like, keep missing on draft picks, i.e. Uh, um, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. <laughs> We can bring any conversation back to basketball. We can. I love it. I like that about you guys. We'll tie it right back. One thing with the Broncos. Yeah. Concern I don't have is the offensive line, and I'm I'm in the minority on that. Really? Kubiak or Rick Dennison always have a line. You're a big Ty Sombrero fan. They always have a line that works. You know, it's not somebody already hurt. Is it Clady? Clady's out. God, already. Yeah, Clady's out. But I I don't worry about the offensive line because Dennison, those guys, and Clancy, they always have an offensive line. The worry I do have is is anything of what we saw in that Colts game, anything remotely involved in that game, if it's a part of the next team, I think you can kind of wipe the season away because that's how bad that game was. But hopefully they move on from that, and they're certainly talented enough. Does the new kid, Shane Ray, is he a starter? I don't think he's a starter, but I think he's going to be a big part of the team by week four, week five, when he's completely healthy. Um, I, I thought he was a top ten guy. And I think that he's going to be a wonderful transition from DeMarcus Ware. Um, I think he is a super talent. Um, I don't know if he's going to pick things up real quick. But, you know, maybe they just let him go loose and say, do what you do, and make it very simple for him early on. My favorite player is uh, Trevathan. How's Trevathan? You know. Is he fun to talk to? Yeah, when he broke out the Told you, Jeff. when he broke out the gold he <laughs> broke out the gold me. grill for an interview in the locker room one day. I said, I like that guy a <laughs> yeah. lot. You That's know, funny. he has some Trevathanisms that he'll break out that you really have to think about for a couple minutes afterwards. And I like that about him too. Um, you can't always understand what they are, but if you listen to your recorder, you can pick it up, and they're terrific. So, <laughs> all right. Well, okay. We've talked. We've talked enough, guys. Paul. 
more than gracious with your time. We appreciate it. Bounce some Broncos questions off you. You probably weren't prepared for. That's cool, man. This was a lot of fun. I love coming on here with you guys. It's fun to talk with some Colorado guys about stuff we all care about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nice having you on, Paul. Thank you for coming down to Jake's Food and Spirits. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.